I really felt like my shoulders relax and that I didn't have to be on my guard, but like they were on my side. Um, and that was a really unique experience because I was very used to feeling like I was on the front lines defending my baby. And now I didn't feel that way. I felt like we were a team there to like defend my baby. (laughs) So it was wonderful. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. What do you do when your doctors don't believe in your body, but you do? What happens when hospital policy is so counter to your own beliefs that you have to be constantly on guard and fighting for your rights? Where do you turn? Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to episode 123 of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and this week we're speaking with Julie, who was faced with a number of situations and circumstances that required intense decision making for herself and her family. I know there are so many mothers out there who are hoping and planning to have successful home births after cesarean sections. And this episode is going to be an inspiring and encouraging one for you. Julie is such a strong mother and her drive to do what's best for her family is so apparent. I want to give a quick heads up. The sound quality of this episode is definitely not the very best. I'm not sure what's going on with my mic while I'm recording in Zoom in a couple of episodes that I recorded all together, but the quality is just kind of driving me a little bit crazy. So just know that I know it's a thing and there were some feedback issues as well. Um, So it's not the best quality, but I guarantee you will barely notice because Julie's story is absolutely riveting. And before we jump in, I'd love to give a big thank you to our reviewer of the week, J&R Farms TN. So helpful to listen during pregnancy. I found this podcast at the beginning of my last pregnancy and listened faithfully the whole time. Even though I had two previous home births, listening to this podcast helped me feel so confident and I learned so much. My third home birth was amazing, and I'm so thankful I had more knowledge and encouragement from this podcast. I would recommend it to anyone. I look forward to every episode. My baby is now three weeks old, and my husband asked me why I still listen to birth stories, but I just can't stop. Thank you so much, J&R Farms TN. If you would send me an email at caitlin at myhappyhomebirth.com, I would love to send you a Happy Home Birth Podcast sticker. All right, my friends, let's dive in. Please remember that the opinions of my guest may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa, and the show is not meant to prescribe or treat. It's an educational tool, so continue to take empowered responsibility for your health and your family. Julie, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Would you mind just starting by taking a moment to introduce yourself and your family to the listeners? Sure. Um, My name is Julie. Um, My husband and I live in Connecticut with our four children, the oldest of whom is four. We are New York State refugees because we fled New York um, when they repealed the religious exemption for vaccinations. And um, yeah, so currently we live here and I'm 29 and my husband's 30. And so you've got four kids and your oldest is four. That's right. Yes. 
So we were, we, we've had some, some babes in, in quick succession, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Four and four years. That's, that is incredible. So I would love to hear, um, you know, how your story began. What was your first pregnancy and birth like? So my, well, my first pregnancy, um, was actually a miscarriage. I, I had three miscarriages before I conceived my firstborn. Um, which was very, I know people have talked about it on the podcast. It was awful. Um, and it was a very traumatic experience. Um, I had a luteal phase defect that we fixed, um, after my second miscarriage, but then on my third miscarriage, I was counseled by the OB to get a flu shot. And I did because I was a teacher and they scared me and I lost the baby two days later. Oh, um, yeah, it was terrible. Um, it's not an experience I wish on anyone, but it did open my eyes that I have to do all my own research. I can't just take somebody telling me that something is safe for me or my children, um, at face value. Mm -hmm. So it was eye opening. So when I conceived my son, who is my firstborn, who's four, we, uh, I really started to do my own research and question the medical community before I let them just do things to me. Um, and I watched the business of being born, which I know most of us probably have. And um, I decided that I wanted a midwife. My husband was very hesitant to do a home birth. He was very nervous. So we went the route of a a hospital midwife, a CNM, and my care was not midwifery care. It was regular OB care with someone that had different letters next to their name than the doctor. But um, I ended up with gestational diabetes that was completely diet controlled, yet they still insisted on inducing me at 39 weeks, six days. That induction ended up in 25 hours of labor, five hours of pushing, and then a C-section. Um, and the hospital experience in general was very combative because from previous experience, I didn't just comply with medical advice. I went against medical advice or refused um, things a lot like shots and um, just things that I knew I didn't want or I felt were unnecessary. And it just resulted in a very stressful um, few days in the hospital. Then with my second, I got pregnant at six months postpartum. And my second, uh, I was dumb and went back to the same midwife. And she said I could only be back if I went into labor on my own by my due date, which did not happen. So I had a repeat C-section. And during that C-section, uh, it was awful. It was loud and noisy and they didn't listen to any of my requests. They kind of laughed at my birth plan. Um, they didn't do delayed cord clamping. They didn't do any of the things that I had asked for. And then on top of that, when they opened me up, they saw a window in my uterus, which they said they could separate just by touching it, which is when the doctor touches the scar and the scar opens and so they started lecturing my husband about um, using contraception and wearing a rubber in the OR while my baby was being taken out. 
um, which is against our faith. And so it was just an extremely stressful and frustrating situation. My husband was visibly furious. I didn't understand because I couldn't hear all the comments. I didn't know what was being said. I just knew my husband was mad and, you know, I was in tears. This was not what I wanted uh, for the birth of my child. Oh, who are these people that think that they can treat other human beings in such a way? Uh, I don't know. And it's very frustrating because it's very, there's like no acknowledgement of the fact that birth is not just the birth of a baby. It's the birth of the parents as well. And it's a, uh, it's a very spiritual experience. It's not just a physical experience, but in the hospital, only the physical is catered to. And it's not even really the physical. It's uh, really what's going to get them not sued (laughs) that's catered to. Um, And so I was in tears and I just knew right then I kind of had the resolve of, I don't care what I have to do. I'm not doing this again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really appreciate how you, you know, you said like it was an OB, she just had different letters, you know, I think that sometimes we can be almost fooled into this idea that, you know, well, if we're not using an OB, everything's going to work out great. And you are really making such a good point of no, 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 it's not, it's, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter whether it's an OB. It doesn't matter whether it's a midwife, it's finding a care provider that, that is going to stand by you and let you be the one making the decisions that really matters. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's a shame that the malpractice and the lawsuits that have taken place, I'm sure the reason why these medical providers in the hospitals are so jaded and so clinical about everything, but, you know, most mothers are not clinical about the birth of their child. And so it's just, it's just not, I don't, I don't think I could ever be properly matched with uh, a hospital provider. Mm -hmm. I just don't think I could. Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes so much sense. So, okay. So you have, you have these two C-section experiences that just leave you so frustrated and disappointed with, you know, with what's gone on. What happened uh, between that that pregnancy, your second pregnancy and your third? So we use natural family planning to get a gap. So we use natural family planning for a full year. I get my, even though I do ecological breastfeeding, I get my fertility back extremely early. Mm -hmm. Um, My first was 16 weeks. My second was 12 weeks and the third was eight weeks. So I get my fertility back very soon. Um, so we use natural family planning with in between my second and third. So I got pregnant when my second child was 13 months. And at that time we knew we were going to have to leave New York. Um, we were living on Long Island and we were in a homeschooling group and, um, they were repealing the religious exemptions for vaccinations. So we knew that we wouldn't be able to send our kids to school, but we also knew that the wording was that they were also gonna be targeting the homeschooling groups um, in the future. So we kind of saw the writing on the wall and we started looking and we decided to move to Connecticut so that my husband could still keep his job. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
kind of wait it out there because Connecticut tends to do whatever New York does um, and see what happens. So I was pregnant in New York and researching hospitals in Connecticut that wouldn't let me be back because I knew we'd be moved by the time I was giving birth. And no one would let me be back. Every hospital I called was saying, no, we only do one C-section. We don't do two C-sections. You had a window. It's very dangerous. And then finally, I called Yale um, Maternal Fetal Medicine. And I got lucky. And I got the one doctor. There's eight doctors and two are very VBAC supportive. Mm -hmm. And the rest are VBAC tolerant. Mm -hmm. And... The two that were supportive, I got one of them who said to come in for a consult. So I did. And she pretty much said, like, if you know the risks and um, you're educated on them and you're willing to sign that you understand the risks, pretty much I'll do what you want me to do. You know, if you, whatever we need to do in labor, I'd be comfortable, which meant Pitocin if they needed it or you know, anything that wasn't contraindicated by, um, oh, I can't even think of the, the group that I'm talking about. ACOG, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I drove for the rest of that pregnancy, two hours to two and a half hours. Anytime I had an OB appointment, cause I was mm-hmm. driving from New York to New Haven and I did that. And then I got to, we moved when I was about 30 weeks. And then when I got to the end at 40 weeks, I began to realize that two of the providers were going to, you know, support me in whatever I decided. But the six other ones were barely going to tolerate me trying to go. And I became very uneasy because now I'm 40 weeks. And you weren't able to, you know, this is just an on-call style situation, right? You don't have any guarantee that you're going to have one of those two providers? Correct. So it's um, maternal fetal medicine. So they're the high risk OBs. So one of them is always in the hospital, but it's whoever's in the hospital. Right. Um, And the way they typically do things is it's, uh, they are on call and then they're off for their off for eight days. So the, one of the doctors that was very supportive said to me, okay, I am on call the day you are 41 weeks. And the person on call immediately after me is the other OB that is supportive. Mm -hmm. So pretty much you can roll the dice and wait to go into labor on your own. If you don't go before 41 weeks, but if at 41 weeks you're still pregnant, you can come in and be induced with us or wait. However, everyone else at the practice was not loving the idea of me going over 41 weeks already because of the C-section. So she kind of said, I think I'm your best shot, but you have to do what you're comfortable with. Right. Um, So my husband and I prayed a ton because we knew that going into labor on our own was what's best. But I also knew that going in with an unsupportive provider is, you know, also a recipe for disaster. Right. So we prayed a lot and we decided to go in and be induced. Um, She was on call on a Monday morning. So she had us come in Sunday night and sleep there so that the second she walked in, 
should be able to induce me because they have to go very low on the Pitocin and very slow. Right. So we did that. And on Sunday night, two other OBs came into the room and spent hours trying to talk me out of it. Um, telling me that I was putting my baby at risk and um, my, you know, my chance of rupture with Pitocin is higher and I could die and the baby could die and, you know, all of these things. And when I kept saying to them, well, we intend to have a large family. And I know that my risk of placenta accreta is significantly higher than my risk of rupture. Every C-section increases your risk of placenta accreta by much more than your risk of rupture. And I said, so what are you suggesting? And she said, I suggest you grow your family a different way, which nothing against adoption. It's so beautiful. And I would love to adopt one day, but we also intend to have as many children as God gives us. So that didn't work for me. Um, So they left and I was really scared and thank God for my husband because he was very, no, we prayed about this. We talked about all the risks. We've, we've gone through this a thousand times and we're not going to let someone scare us out of it in the ninth inning. Right. So um, we went to sleep and in the morning, my OB came in super positive and said, all right, let's go. And at 7.30, they started me on Pitocin. They went very slow. They started me at a one and only uh, increased by half every 45 minutes, which is uh, with my first birth, I was started at a two and increased by one every 20 minutes. So drastically different and it felt different. And I was induced at seven 30 in the morning and he was born at four 30 in the afternoon with an hour of pushing. And I did have a second degree tear. It was coached pushing, um, but it was a vaginal birth, which that was all I wanted. Um, He ended up being nine pounds, which (laughs) thank thank God those ultrasound machines are never right because I don't know if they would have been thrilled with me V-backing after two C-sections with a nine pound baby, but they were measuring him in the sevens. And my other two were in the sevens. So he was just a big boy. And he just carries it well. Yeah. He, and he still is. He's like my, you know, he's like my brute. He's just <laughs> such a big boy. He's got thick hands. And um, yeah. And I got my vaginal birth and they were not combative with me at that hospital with my parental decisions. And um, I signed out within 24 hours mm. and we went home. Oh. And, it was for a hospital birth. It is the best I could have ever expected in terms of the care and support that I received. Um, it's still, it was, um, they were very hands off. So I didn't feel connected to my provider. She just kind of would come in to adjust my meds or send the nurse in. And then they left the room. So they left us alone, which that's the most I could have asked for. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't have anything bad to say about that provider or um, my nurses there. They gave me the VBAC team. So it was all people that were supportive of VBAC. And they asked me if I would allow students in because it is a Yale. And I wanted to because I wanted the students to see a, a VBAC 2C. Like I wanted them to know that women could do that so that when they went out in the future, they weren't terrified by every woman who's trying to VBAC. 
So I didn't realize till I was done pushing, but I think there must've been 25 people in my room. Oh, wow. (laughs) They were pulling students from like the cardiology floors and it went around the whole hospital that someone was V-backing Pitocin induced after two C-sections. And literally I had like every Yale student at that hospital in my room when I delivered, but I didn't notice until the end. So, Oh, well, you know, and (laughs) it is such a balance of like, okay, that's a lot of extra people in the room, but at the same time, like what a gift that you not only gave those students, but that you potentially gave all of these other mothers who are going to be seeing those providers that those providers know like, Oh yeah, I did see somebody do this before. Like maybe you could do it too. You know, like you may have planted a seed that, that really serves so many women. Well, I hope, I I mean, I hope so because it's just, people are so, they act like you're crazy when you Mm -hmm. say you want to do this, especially after two C-sections and a window. And so I, you know, was just hoping that, all right, let them have a positive experience, Mm -hmm. you know? That's beautiful. Well, so you have this, you know, this hospital birth that in so many ways is so empowering because you had your vaginal birth. What, what happened next? So I got pregnant at four and a half months postpartum and it was COVID. So my son was born January of 2020 and I got pregnant in, I don't even know, April, uh, Mm -hmm. something like that of, um, the end of April, beginning of May. And so I, it was COVID. So all the hospital policies are being weird. Um, I don't go to a regular OB for the first trimester anyway, because I refuse a lot of the genetic testing and the nuchal thickness ultrasounds. And um, I just kind of learned because I, that I don't like to argue. So I went to my NAPRO doctor, um, which is a natural fertility doctor uh, for the first trimester to supplement my progesterone. I have a luteal phase defect. And then when that, you know, when I was at the end of the first trimester, I started, I called Yale again to go back. And I was told that I wasn't allowed to bring my nursing, you know, baby to appointments because of the COVID policies. And I thought, I have to drive. I was driving 40 minutes to that hospital and then appointments were over an hour and then 40 minutes home. So even though my husband was working from home because of everything going on, I couldn't leave my nursing infant with my husband and my other two toddlers all at home for that length of time. Um, And so I kind of got angry and hung up the phone and told them, well, then I'm going to go without care and just hung up. (laughs) Um, So I called the local hospital where one of my friends had delivered and made an appointment with one of their doctors that she recommended who would let me bring the baby to appointments. So I went in and I really liked the practice. The practice was great. The doctor seemed wonderful. And he even said, there was four doctors in that practice and the one I had seen was the most VBAC supportive. And he said, um, you know, I'll come in for you if, if I'm not on call when you go into labor. Cause I, I explained everything that happened at Yale and, um, that was great. 
until I went to the hospital for my anatomy scan and they went over their labor procedures. And I was told that I would have to be tested for coronavirus. If I tested positive, my husband would not be allowed to attend the birth. If I was tested positive, they would remove the baby from my care um, and test the baby. And I don't know what would have happened if the baby tested positive. Um, and all of these, oh, I'd have to labor in a mask. Mm. And because that's safe. <laughs> yeah. And that's also, it's just insane. I mean, laboring in a mask. It's called labor. I mean, <laughs> it's <cool>. um, <laughs> I need to breathe. Like, breathing techniques are a huge part. Like, you think of all those television shows where you have the women doing the ridiculous breathing techniques they used to teach. I mean, now, so they obviously don't know me but I'm sitting in my head going, well, I'm not doing that. So that's not happening. Hey, mamas, let me interrupt for a few quick moments to share some great news. I have a free class waiting for you. Home Birth Mythbusters, the five myths you need to bust to have a happy home birth. It's my free gift to all of you who are considering home birth, planning your 15th home birth, or are just curious to know more about what this is all about. Head to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash mythbusters to select a time that works for you and get started. You'll gain access to not only this incredible free masterclass, but you'll also be given access to sign up for Happy Home Birth Academy and an incredible bonus stack of resources that you can only get through that masterclass. So wait no longer, head to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash mythbusters and reserve your seat today. Okay, back to the show. So I came home and told my husband, I said, well, I'm not doing that. So, and he said, yeah, we're not doing that. And so I kind of went back and forth about, do I go to the hospital and refuse the test? And then what are they going to do? Not let me, let me deliver in the, in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I knew that I was creating for myself a very combative situation at the hospital. And I know from past experience, how negative impact that has on me as the mother, on my husband, as the father, it, it makes everything stressful. It makes it difficult to bond with your baby. And it makes you more likely to end up in a C-section because your heart rate and your blood pressure and all of these things that they use to monitor if something's going wrong. Well, a lot of these things can be triggered by stress. (laughs) So I have a best friend who is the godmother of my two youngest kids and she had just had a home birth and I called her and said, will your midwife take me? And, um, she said, I'm not sure. So I called her midwife who was the only CNM in the state and they don't take VBAC patients. Mm -hmm. So I was super discouraged, but I started calling every other midwife in the state And all the CPMs said they would take me. So I had phone consultations with several of them and, you know, clicked with my midwife that I ended up picking. Um, And I transferred to midwifery care and I never looked back. Oh, that is so exciting. It's just so exciting that you were able to make this switch to home birth after, you know, you said, even at the very beginning, you guys had watched the business of being born. You had this path kind of in your mind and sort of planned to recreate that in the beginning. 
at the hospital, right? Like you chose yes. a midwife because you wanted to have this beautiful, natural, empowered birth. And then it went sideways, totally not the way you had planned. You had to go through these other experiences, but now here you are back able to make the decision to have a home birth. Yes, it was, it was awesome. And I'm so grateful that I had a friend who had done it before me because honestly, you, you, I saw it on a show, but you know, I saw it on the business of being born, but you just, until you know someone who's actually done it, a lot of times it just feels like this thing that only this really fringe group of people do. And, right. you know, you have all, my whole family, um, when my best friend was having her home birth, they were a nervous wreck. And my mom asked if the midwives check your blood pressure. Like they literally thought this was just some person who showed up and sat and watched you deliver, I guess. Like yeah. there was just no concept of what midwives actually do and what they come prepared with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does. It makes it so scary when you don't understand that, Hey, these are medical professionals. Like they, they have the balance. There's medical professionalism and they understand birth as a rite of passage, you know? Yes, absolutely. So let's hear more about this experience at how many weeks were you when you transferred to home birth care? I mean, I would say probably 20, 28, maybe 29, because my, it was after my anatomy scan and my anatomy scan was at, I think like 22 weeks. So by the time I made all the phone calls and things like that, um, yeah, I was well into the twenties weeks. Right. Okay. So, so what was this like? You know, you've been used to maternal fetal medicine appointments and all of these hospital experiences. Now you're working with a midwife. Let's hear what the rest of your pregnancy was like. (laughs) The first thing I couldn't get over was just the amount of time they spent with you. Um, I went in for, I was used to going into an appointment and waiting for 45 minutes in a waiting room and then going into, you know, being weighed, getting my blood pressure checked and then sitting in the doctor's office and appointments being about five minutes long and they kind of talk at you instead of talking to you. And the only time I was with the doctor for longer was when I was arguing with them or feeling like I had to fight to make my own decisions about my own body. And um, yeah, so I kind of went in a little, I don't know, I've been very jaded. So I went in and I was a skeptic about, they say that they're, you know, this or that, but and they say that they're like crunchy and, you know, naturally minded, but like, let's see, you know. <laughs> And I, I was just blown away. They were, they took so much time to talk to me. My first appointment was probably an hour and a half. And they really wanted to hear about my previous births and, you know, any lingering trauma. I felt like I had it with that or resentments and um, they just really cared for me. And then every exam procedure and everything they asked if I was comfortable, you know, are you comfortable reporting your weight? Are you comfortable if we check the baby now? Do you mind? And I just was so not used to that because I was used to doctors 
um, telling you that they were going to do a procedure that was much more invasive than checking your blood pressure, you know, right. or reporting your weight. And they would just say, we're going to check you now, you know, mm-hmm. lay down. <laughs> and it was just, I really felt like my shoulders relax and that I didn't have to be on my guard, but like they were on my side. Um, and that was a really unique experience because I was very used to feeling like I was on the front lines defending my baby. And now I didn't feel that way. I felt like we were a team there to like defend my baby. (laughs) So it was wonderful. That is, I love how you describe that because I definitely, you know, get that picture from you just hearing how you defended your baby so well in the hospital, you know, back against the wall, you took care of your babies the best that you could. And I just can imagine how much tension you would be holding because of those previous experiences. And now for you to be able to come into care where you your shoulders relax. What, what a beautiful image. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was just the most unique experience to go from, you know, C-sections to home birth care. Wow. So you, you've established this beautiful relationship with your midwife. Um, you're preparing for this upcoming labor. What did your family think of all of this? So we did not tell our family. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, so we told our friends from church and um, my best friend who had her home birth, but outside of our friends from church and her, we did not tell anybody because I knew that they would all be nervous wrecks. They, ever, my friends and family thought we were pretty crazy for the VBAC in the hospital. Right. So if they felt that way about delivering in the hospital, at not even a hospital, at Yale Hospital, they were nervous. So I just knew that they would not respond well to the homework. And I just decided that I didn't need that. You know, I didn't need anyone putting extra stress on me or doubt in my head. Like I had made up my mind. I had done my research and I knew that my family would be, uh, my mother in particular is very prayerful. So I knew that they would be praying for me the whole time I was in labor regardless. So I just kind of said, you know, they don't need to know the building the baby's being born in. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Right. Um, So it was funny though, because my family does know me and they knew the hospital policies with all this COVID stuff was a little crazy. So they kind of were surprised that I wasn't coming, you know, calling them or talking to them and saying things like, my doctor wants me to do this. Like, that's not going to happen because that's typically what I would do. Right. (laughs) And instead they're like, how's your doctor's appointments? And I just would say, oh, they're good. Oh yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. And they just thought that was weird because like they expected me to be like, they think I'm doing this and that's not happening. And um, yeah, so it all made sense to them after the fact when they right. found out. But at the time they just thought like, oh, maybe she's oh. mellowed out or something. But right. that was not the case. That is too funny. <laughs> I love that. And I, you know, I think that that is such a, an individual decision with 
mothers choosing to tell family or not, it's important for people to understand that that is, that is your decision and your decision alone. If you feel like you need to keep things private, then by all means, keep things private. You, this is your birth and your experience. And and people are so well-meaning, you know, thinking of your family, yeah. they're so well-meaning. They're not trying to add any additional stress to you. It's just that other people's anxieties, they affect us. And so I, I appreciate you saying, you know, we just decided we'd wait until the baby was here and then we'd let them know the good news at that point. And I think that if you are listening and you feel like you need permission not to tell people, here's your permission. You don't have to tell anybody. And my family said they were happy we didn't tell them. Yeah. So when afterwards, when they said they go, oh, I would have been a nervous wreck. I'm so glad you didn't tell us. Yes. (laughs) My sister actually said, I wish you still didn't tell us because now I know the next one's going to be a home birth. Um, So definitely you need to, you need to fill your space with people that, you know, are not just going to be supportive because my family is going to be supportive they would have been supportive as much as they could have, but they would have been very nervous. And I didn't need nervous energy, right. even well-meaning energy, you know. Exactly. Okay, that's wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and now let's get into this labor story. How did this all unfold? So um, at 40 weeks, I had my appointment scheduled for my 40-week checkup. I had been in prodromal labor for a week leading up to uh, my due date. And with my third child, who was the VBAC in the hospital, I was in prodromal labor from 39 weeks on, and he went to 41. So I kind of, when that started at 39 weeks, I went, oh, not this again, you know? (laughs) But, you know, it is what it is. So (laughs) I had an appointment scheduled for my duty. I got a text from my midwife that morning that she was delivering a baby. And so my appointment was canceled. And we rescheduled for two days later. So that was on a Tuesday. And I said, all right. I went for a walk with uh, my best friend. And we went to the park. And I picked my son up from preschool and came home and made dinner. And after dinner, I got this incessant need to clean. And I always tidy up, you know, at the end of the day, because I have four, well, at the time, three children, three, uh, four and under. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's Legos and toys. And, um, but this was different. I felt the need to clean like scrub my bathroom, even though I do that on Fridays and (laughs) vacuum everything and dust the corners, even though I do that on this day. And, um, I really just wanted everything to be, you know, spick and span. And I honestly didn't really think anything of that either because I'd had bursts of that throughout my pregnancy. So I went to bed at around 11.30. And then at 1.30, I woke up to go to the bathroom and I go to go to the bathroom and I think I pee in my pants. <laughs> I go, oh, I didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I turn around to get something, a uh, paper towel to wipe it up, bend down and more comes out. And I went, 
oh man. And then I went, oh, is this my water? (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Which I know water breaking is not a common first symptom of labor. So I, I really didn't think that that was what it was at first. And then I realized, I said, oh no, my water broke. Like that's what this is, but it was not clear. So I knew there was meconium in it. So I called my midwife and I was so apologetic because I knew they had been at a birth all day. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's 1.30 and I know you've just delivered a baby, but I'm up, you know, I'm up to bat. So I sent a picture of the water on the floor so they could see the color. Um, and they said it was not a lot that, you know, it was meconium, but that it looked like only a little bit and not to be too concerned which I had never had meconium in my waters before. So I, I was really nervous right away that that would have ruled me out for a home birth or something. And it didn't, you know, they were not, they said, you know, we're not worried. It's fine. Um, so they said, take a shower and go back to bed. So I took a shower and I woke up my husband and I said to him, you know, they want me to go back to bed, but do you think I should call my mom to come get the kids? Because I did not want my kids there while I was delivering because they're so young. And my, especially my one-year-old is so needy. Mm -hmm. I just think I felt like I would have been split between meeting needs, meeting my needs for labor and trying to meet like my one-year-old's needs. Um, or my two or or three or four-year-old's needs as well. So he said, I think we should just call your mom to come get the kids. So I called my mom. She, you know, grabbed a, made made herself coffee and got in the car. Uh, We live an hour. My parents live on uh, Long Island still. So we live an hour from them because we're in Connecticut. She drove here, comes in the house and sits down on my couch and starts talking to me, drinking coffee. (laughs) And I'm going, okay, should I wake up the kids now? And she says, oh, I thought I would just wait here until they woke up in the morning and then take them to my (laughs) Because she thinks I'm leaving for the hospital. (laughs) And I just looked at her and went, "Uh, I want to leave her at home for as long as possible. So I I need you to take them now. Nice save. Nice save. (laughs) Yeah. So she goes, oh, uh, oh, okay. So she, so my husband wakes up the kids and, you know, my mom is like, she's very puzzled. Why, like, why would you wake up kids at one thirty in the morning if you're leaving anyway? <laughs> but she, you know, she's so good about that. My mom and so like respectful that she, you know, just did it even though she thought that was dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so my husband walks her down to the car and with the kids and the whole time she's like, don't let her labor at home for too long. No, you don't want the baby born here. And my husband's just going, yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, I'll make sure we'll go right away. And he's dying inside because he's like, (laughs) you know, so my mom leaves, my husband comes in, fills the pool um, for me. And I put big stop pots of boiling water on just so that we have it. Cause, um, we live in an apartment building. So I wasn't sure what the water situation would be if, uh, we have good hot water if no one's in the shower, but if you're, if it's 6am on a work day, 
than everyone showering at once. So you don't have enough to fill a huge pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got right in the pool because I love the water and I find it so relaxing. And I just, I had started to have contractions at this point. They were about uh, four minutes apart, but they were not crazy intense. They were more, uh, you know, I couldn't talk while the contraction was going, but I wasn't, you know, trying to breathe really well or um, it wasn't as intense as I knew it would be. Mm. And so I was in the pool. Um, my midwives came around 6.30, but they stayed in their car. I think they probably needed a nap because they had just had that birth. Mm-hmm. And they came up at 7.30 a.m. and checked me with the Doppler to hear the baby's heartbeat and checked my blood pressure. And then um, they kind of asked, because I had the pool in my bedroom and I had pulled down the blackout curtains and lit candles and moved, um, we're Catholic. So I had a, some of our religious statues, our statue of Our Lady of Fatima in our bedroom. And I was just, you know, focusing and in my own space. And so they came out and sat at the dining room table. And um, yeah, it was very, it was just such a peaceful environment, you know, and it was a prayerful environment, which is what I wanted. Right. Um, and then at nine 30, they came in and asked if I wanted to be checked. And I did because, you know, I felt like I was still kind of in this first stage of labor and I, you know, I wanted to be checked. So they checked me and I was at a five, but I was a hundred percent effaced and they kind of, uh, my midwife, Joni said very lovingly, um, you're a little too comfortable in the pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to get out. <laughs> and I went, I don't want to get out. <laughs> and she said, I know, but you, you need to do an hour for me out of the pool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Like, and I literally felt like it was, um, I played sports growing up. So I felt like it was when the coach told you to get on your, lo- get on the line, you know, or like bring your sneakers to practice kind of thing. <laughs> I just knew you were in for it. And sure enough, as soon as I got out of the pool, it was the, the, it just got so intense. It got so intense so fast. I felt like I went instantly into transition Wow, where it was, you know, shaking and really having a hard time staying calm during contractions. And, um, we had a doula here who was a midwife in training and she was wonderful and was showing my husband, you know, like how to apply pressure and, you know, how to like help give, um, good counter pressure. And we have a Theragun, which is like a massage gun. Mm-hmm. And so he was putting that on my lower back, um, to apply counter pressure. And that was amazing. Like the three seconds before that thing hit my back were the longest three seconds. I just, <laughs> I, they, he couldn't get it there quick enough. Um, and so I labored out of the the pool from about nine 30 until about 11. Um, she said to me, okay, do two contractions on the toilet and then you can go back in the pool. And as I was doing this, my midwives are, you know, reboiling the water and dumping it into the pool to heat it up. And 
I literally could not do it on the toilet. I tried, I went to go sit and I could, I felt like I was sitting on the baby's head and it was painful and I, I couldn't. So I ended up just doing contractions near the toilet instead of <laughs> on the toilet. Um, Close enough. <laughs> yeah, it just was not happening. So at 1130, I got back in the pool and I, it instantly felt better. Like I felt so much relief in like my hips, and my pelvis. And even though the contractions were still extremely intense in between contractions, the pool really allowed me to relax mm-hmm. where walking around didn't, right. you know, walking around, I was able to catch my breath in between contractions, but I wasn't actually be able to slump my body and really relax. Um, like I could in the pool. And so in between contractions, I was actually falling asleep. My husband has a video of me snoring on the side of the pool in between really intense contractions. Um, and my midwives kind of said, okay, they checked the baby's heartbeat and they said, all right, um, call us when you start pushing. And I said, what? You know, I just was so not used to that. Don't call you when I start pushing, you know, like I just, I'm going to push. Like, and even though I had listened to every single one of your podcasts and so many women had talked about it, I just, I didn't think it would be as clear as it is where all of a sudden I went from having contractions to on this one contraction, my body pushed. And I said to my husband, I'm pushing, go get the, you know, call them in. And so they came in and... I had the whole time, my labor never really got closer than three minutes apart. Um, And in the pool, it spaced out even more. So my pushing contractions were three and a half to four minutes apart. Um, And so I pushed, I started pushing at 11.45. And I had, I not that many pushes because they were three or four minutes apart. And my baby was born at 1208. Wow. And, um, her cord was around her neck. Mm-hmm. So when I pushed her head, they told me, okay, we see the cord around her neck. Like, just give us a minute. And they unlooped the cord and, mm-hmm. you know, I gave on the next contraction, I pushed the rest of her body out and they passed her to me, you know, in the water in between my legs and pulled her up on my chest. And it was just, honestly, the best, it was, it's gotta be, if not the best, one of the best moments of my life. It was so, it was just this elation, this relief that labor's over. And like, this is how it's supposed to be. There was no voice in the back of my head saying, make sure the baby doesn't leave your sight. Make sure they don't take the baby make sure your husband follows the baby over to the scale so that they don't give the baby something you don't want them to give the baby. There was no, there was no other voice in my head because when I had given birth in the hospitals, I had joy and so excited to see my baby, but instantly I had felt like I had to be in protective mode right away where, Oh, I love you. You're so beautiful. Okay. Now I have to keep you away from this person. And my husband's got to watch you over there. And there was none of that. It was just, oh, this is my baby. And no one in the room is a threat to them. Mm. And 
Um, that is so, I can't explain to women. Um, and if I hope women never experience it, but when you don't even realize how awful having that voice is in your head until you don't have it, Mm. you, you know, I didn't even realize even for my VBAC, even when I got my vaginal birth and I was no longer worried about a section, I then had to worry about, um, the silver nitrate or different shots and things that I had decided. And my husband had decided we do not want for our family. And I didn't have to worry about those things. That wasn't, I was surrounded by people who respected my choices, respected my husband's choices, and they weren't going to try to undermine my authority as a parent and do something behind my back. Mm. And I never felt that peace in the hospital. And it was just so beautiful to just really enjoy your baby and not feel the need to protect your baby. Oh, yes. Uh, That is such a great point. And, you know, to have to tamper the potency of that moment down with protection mode, um, that, you know, the way you're describing it, it just, yeah, what a, what a frustrating situation to, to be put in and for you to finally be able to experience it, you know, no being held back by nothing fully engaging in the experience and trusting and knowing that nothing is going to happen outside of what you want to have happen to be able to just sink into the experience. That is beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And they were just so wonderful. And, um, I saw a chiropractor during pregnancy and I got the baby adjusted and myself adjusted right away. But other than that appointment with the chiropractor, I really didn't leave the house postpartum, which was the first time I actually um, did that. My midwives really emphasized the importance of taking care of yourself postpartum. And I feel like the OBs never emphasized that at all. And right. so I ended up with a prolapse after my third. And um, I feel like that was wise. No one really emphasized how important it was to take it easy. Yeah, well, I mean, when, when can they, you see them what once at six weeks, like when are we having these conversations in the traditional medical, you know, mainstream way of having babies? Absolutely. And it's such a disservice to women. Right. It's like, you know, it's part of our healthcare. We should emphasize it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of huge. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh. Julie, this story is just so empowering. I- I'm I'm just so happy for you. And this was not long ago, right? You're, you've got a teeny little baby. Yes, she is five weeks. I'm nursing her as we speak, if you can hear her. Um, and yeah, she was seven pounds, four ounces. Mm. And yeah, so I have seven pounds, 12, seven, eight, nine, and then seven, four. <laughs> a niner. <laughs> yeah, my niner. Oh gosh, I love it. I'm just so happy for you. And I'm so thrilled that, you know, in such a stressful environment, you know, with COVID being such a massive stressor to so many, you were able to find care that uh, truly understood you and supported you in the ways that you needed all along and you finally received. Me too. I'm so, I'm so grateful. And, uh, you know, I hope women who are listening don't 
wait for, you know, a pandemic or some ridiculous hospital policies. If you know that, if you know what you want for your baby and you're similarly minded to me, you can have it right away. You don't have to have the two traumatic experiences before you get what you want. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, Julie, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. As we, as we wrap up and close out, do you have any last little tidbits, maybe especially for uh, our moms who are, you know, previous cesarean moms, anything that you can offer to them? I guess it's just, you know, have faith in what your body can do and uh, fear, fear doesn't come from God. So don't let fear be the primary motivator in making such an extremely important decision as to how you give birth to your children and do your research um, and talk to people, but don't make your decision out of fear. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause that's in my experience for myself, it, it doesn't end well. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Julie, thank you so much for sharing your stories and thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. Okay, isn't Julie incredible? As we head into this week's episode roundup, I want to cover a couple of topics a little deeper. Number one, Julie's family's response to the news of her home birth was very illuminating, don't you think? It shows that sometimes withholding your plans to anxious family members is the kindest thing you can do, not only for yourself, which of course is the most important aspect, but also for them. So if you're feeling guilty for not sharing your news, maybe this will serve as a little feather in your cap. And number two, after her two cesarean experiences, Julie was ready to make a change. She had to fight an uphill battle, yes, but Julie wasn't going to let a uniformed, disconnected medical entity make her biggest decisions for her. She decided to take birth into her own hands, at first in the hospital and then at home. My friends, it doesn't get any more empowering than that, does it? She knew the risks, she knew the benefits, and she chose what was best for her and her family. Now, maybe that decision wouldn't feel best for you, and that's okay. The point is that birth is our responsibility, whether we acknowledge it or not, and we've got to make the decisions that we feel will serve our families best. Julie was willing to take on the responsibility, and it paid off greatly. Okay, my friends, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you're feeling so excited to take responsibility for your health and your care, just like Julie. And I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.